from WBGO, this is Newark Today, your monthly look at what's happening in and around New Jersey's largest city. And now, here's your host, Michael Hill. Welcome to another edition of Newark Today. We have a special broadcast for you tonight. We're talking about uh, this Justice Department under the Trump administration, uh, whether it's retreating from consent decrees and from constitutional policing in the city of Newark and elsewhere around the country. This is Newark Today on WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org. Our phone number for you to take part of this conversation because Newark is your city. New Jersey is your state. And this is your radio station, WBGO 88.3 FM. We want you to take part of this conversation. The phone number is 844-677-9283. Our guest this evening on this topic of whether... Uh, this Justice Department is retreating from constitutional policing. The Honorable Mayor of Newark, uh, Raz Baraka. We also have uh, Larry Hamm with the People's Organization for Progress and former U.S. Attorney for New Jersey, Paul Fishman, who's now a professor at Seton Hall University. Is that correct? Seton Hall Law School. I'm the Seton Hall Law School. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Good to be here. Uh, are we becoming, and, and I'll throw this out there, I'm going to play a clip from uh, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, in just a minute. Are we becoming the United States of Alabama <laughs> with some of the policies that uh, that this administration is talking about? I want to play, as I said, straight off the top here. Uh, this is what Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, said at his confirmation hearings about consent decrees and policing in the United States. These lawsuits undermine uh, the respect for police officers and create an impression that the entire department is um, not in doing their work consistent with fidelity to law and fairness. And we need to be careful before we do that. That's what I would say to you, because uh, of filing a lawsuit against a a police department has ramifications uh, sometimes beyond what a lot of people think and it can impact morale of the officers it can impact and affect the view of citizens uh, to their police department and I just think that uh, caution is always required in these cases Larry when you heard this from the Attorney General of the United States about retreating from consent decrees and essentially constitutional policing. For someone who's been in the trenches as long as you have been in the trenches in Newark mm. and trying to make sure that that this police department and other police departments across this land get the message that you have to obey the Constitution and you have to do citizens right. What, what were your thoughts? Well, I thought it was um, basically a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I was not surprised. What surprised me initially for a minute, because I had drank the Kool-Aid and I thought Hillary Clinton was <laughs> going to win the election, and then Donald Trump got elected, I pretty much extrapolated what the outcome was going to be. Uh, Donald Trump was endorsed by many right-wing organizations, even racist and neo-fascist organizations, such as the Ku Klux Klan. But he was also endorsed by the 330,000-member Fraternal Order of Police. And at the moment that they gave their endorsement, they actually gave their endorsement far before, a number of days before the election, I pretty much knew what the outcome was going to be. I didn't know who the specific players would be. 
I didn't know it would be someone as retrograde as Jeff Sessions, someone that Coretta Scott King um, uh, condemned and told Congress not to appoint to a federal uh, judgeship because of um, his shenanigans in the South. So when Trump was elected, endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police, appointed Jeff Sessions, a real right-winger, I knew he would, and Trump during the campaign, he kept saying over and over again that he was the law and order candidate. So I pretty much knew what was going to happen um, with the appointment of Sessions. In fact, Sessions had barely been sworn in when he already uh, had given newspaper interviews saying that, in fact, his Justice Department was going to back away from interfering with local police forces. So this statement, the one that you played, doesn't uh, surprise me at all. Uh, and then this was followed by this sum, uh, uh, summary firing of, I believe, what was it, 46 or 93? It would be 46 who were left. 46 United States attorneys summarily fired in one night, unprecedented in presidential uh, history. Uh, you could see what direction they're going. And, and since then, he actually tried to block the implementation of the Baltimore consent decree. Uh, but the judge fortunately said that we're too far down the road on this. We're going forward regardless of, of your personal uh, desire. So uh, it, it's unfortunate. I was glad to read uh, Mayor Baraka's statements in the paper saying that he was going to stay uh, with the consent decree, that he was going to make sure, he was going to do everything he could to make sure it was implemented. But this, we're going backwards. We're going backwards. And we're, we're going to be back where we were in probably the mid-'70s, you know. Mr. Mayor, your thoughts when you, when you realized that Jeff Sessions was the attorney general was taking this posture in terms of re retreating from consent decrees and constitutional policing? Well, I mean, we. I'm just uh, happy that we have, uh, you know, separation of powers and we have a balance of power in, in government, you know, uh, that the executive branch doesn't have total and full uh, kind of autonomy over everything, uh, that we do have a judicial branch and the courts have already uh, put out the consent decree in motion here. And I don't believe that there's really much that they can do to reverse or return what the court decided. Um, you know, as it relates to other people, is unfortunate. And, um, you know, uh, maybe uh, in terms of their support around what they feel about the consent decree and what they feel about monitors uh, can have an adverse effect on, you know, how, how these things are carried out, how uh, departments behave as it relates to monitors and consent decrees. So all, all of that is problematic uh, for me. And, um, you know, uh, I think that what he, what he doesn't understand is that this isn't about uh, just uh, individual police officers and their behavior is actually about a system that allows individual police officers to get away with specific kinds of behavior and systemic kind of cultural practices that have been taking place over periods of time that are obviously broken and lead to the kind of outcomes uh, that we see. And if they're not interested enough to even look at that is, is, is a serious problem. Um, Paul, one, one of the quotes from Jeff Sessions about this, and, and this is what he gave, I, I believe, a couple of days ago, or maybe even uh, a couple of hours ago. He says that uh, these consent decrees can reduce the morale of police departments. 
I suppose they could, but I think I think Jeff Sessions is starting from a fundamental lack of appreciation for what the statute is designed to do and how the Justice Department has implemented that statute over the last 22 years. Um, you know, the the origin of the pattern and practice investigation of the type that my office did in Newark with the Civil Rights Division from the Department of Washington is from from the early 1990s. Uh, when uh, everybody watched on national television what happened to Rodney King and then the right. officers were acquitted when they were tried in state court and, and people in L.A. realized, and there was a commission that was appointed, people in L.A. realized and then around the country realized that there were certain police organizations that have the kinds of problems that the mayor just described that are systemic or cultural problems uh, that either encourage or condone or permit individual officers to engage in activity that the rest of us recognize is not constitutional. And so in 1994, Congress passed a statute uh, that gave the Justice Department the authority to conduct civil investigations not designed to target individual officers or their conduct. There are criminal statutes for that under appropriate circumstances. Um, but that the, the Justice Department had the, had the legal right, the jurisdiction, to investigate uh, law enforcement organizations uh, to determine whether there was a they had engaged in a pattern or practice of illegal conduct, unconstitutional conduct. And so since 1994, over the last 22 and a half years, the Justice Department has conducted 69 such investigations. Wow. There are 18,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States. So when the Attorney General says that this is a, that he's worried, uh, the language you're quoting is that we have to be careful, we have to proceed with caution. I can tell you, having personally supervised one of the investigations, that's exactly what we did. We proceeded quite carefully, and, and, and the reason that was so important to me was that because I've spent 20, almost 22 years of my own career in law enforcement, in federal law enforcement, and have worked so closely over that time with police organizations and off, individual officers and agents at every level, federal, state, county, local, and because my office's most significant partner in fighting violent crime locally was the police department in the city of Newark, I know how dedicated those cops are. I know that, that the vast, vast, vast majority of people who put on that badge in the morning, put on that uniform, put a gun on their hip or on their ankle, do those jobs, make that their career choice for exactly the right reasons. But over time, a police organization, like any, or any other kind of organization, can develop a culture that allows people to engage in, in unhealthy and sometimes worse kinds of practices. And we believed it was our obligation to take that deep dive, to figure out if that was the case in Newark, to figure out if it was, what the reasons for that were, and then to try to fix it. And so, um, and so I, I, I have a problem with the way uh, Attorney General Sessions is approaching this problem because I think, A, it does a disservice to the history of the statute. B, I think it does a disservice to the, to the incredibly great work that people have done with exactly the care and caution that he would like to see. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. What, what signal is he sending to law enforcement in this country when he says these kind of things about reducing morale? The number here is 844-677-9283. That's 844-677-9283. You're, on, you're listening to Newark Today. We want you to have a question uh, or, or share a concern with either Paul Fishman, Larry Ham, or... Uh, Mayor Raz Baraka. So feel free to give us a call, 844-677-9283. Um, uh, Paul, what kind of message, when you, when you say 
the kind of things that Jeff Sessions is saying, what message is he saying? Is he delivering to law enforcement in this country? Well, I, th I think what the message that he's he's he seems to be sending is that um, insist insisting on constitutional policing is inconsistent with public safety, and I think that's wrong. Uh, I think that there's no inconsistency, there's no daylight between those two concepts. And in fact, you know, my experience has been, and, and the experience of all the law enforcement officials I've talked to over the, over, the, over the length of my career, is that the more cops pay attention to the rules, and the more, and the more cops adhere to the, the, what the Constitution requires, the better they are at their jobs, the more the community respects them, the better their relationship with the people that they're sworn to protect, and, the, and once that relationship reaches that much more cohesive um, phase, people are much more inclined to cooperate with police, to work with the police. They see that the police are there for them. They are there for the police. And I actually think, and, and the mayor is, will, will, um, will, I'm sure, be, ha be happy to talk about this, the crime rate in Newark, um, since we started down this road, has, is moving in exactly the direction we would want. And, and Paul, what, what, what Sessions is saying, and there are news articles out today about this, like in The Nation magazine and so forth, Sessions is saying in places where you have consent decrees, Crime goes up. Certainly not true in Newark. Uh, I mean, you, I, I want to kind of dovetail um, what Paul Fishman was saying here. Uh, let me just say something anecdotally. I haven't taken any surveys. But from the 1980s all the way through the 90s, all the way up till about the year that Ross Baraka was elected, in 2014 we had an epidemic of police brutality in this town and I can name names I can name Michael Newkirk I can name Tasha Mays I can name Rashid Fuquan Moore I can name Shakan Nance and Warren Lee I could sit here all night and name names of people who are unarmed and killed by the police as a result of the protest movement that was in this town even the mayor, when before he was mayor, he was an activist. When uh, Strawberry Daniels was killed on Clinton and Chadwick, he led a march. We almost had a police review board in the late 90s because of that, but there was a lot of pushback from the police. In fact, some people got pushed out of office because they sided with the people. But then we partnered with the ACLU. The ACLU gathered all these individual cases that we were bringing to them put together a package, sent it to the Justice Department, and requested the Justice Department come in and do an investigation, and they did. Now, I want to say this. I, I can't speak uh, authoritar authoritatively on this, but anecdotally, not one Newark family has been to a pop meeting about police brutality since 2014 because we had a mayor that made it clear that he was against police brutality and anybody that knows about corporate culture and management culture know that change begins at the top and we had a justice department that came in said we're going to have a consent decree we're going to have a federal monitor speaking anecdotally the police calmed down all the families that have come to us since 2014 and I'm not saying there hasn't been any issues. I know there was, was one issue where a young Puerto Rican fellow got his arm broken, was left laying in the street. 
the mayor had hit that that cop fired the next day. He, he wasn't going to wait for us to march on City Hall. He had it fired the next day. But what I'm saying from 2014, all the families that have come to us have been families outside of Newark. So what does this tell me? This tells me that when pol- when police forces are under a federal monitor, under investigation, they watch their step and they calm down. I mean, I can even talk about how the demeanor of the police is there, how they're more polite, you know, because I've been stopped several times, but it was a world of difference from the previous administration. Jeff Sessions is voicing the policy of his boss, Donald Trump. I mean, let's let's talk for real here. He Trump campaigned as a law and order candidate. He was. Uh, but isn't this something? You, isn't this something? Might you have heard though from Jeff Sessions even before Donald Trump came Absolutely, on the scene? Absolutely, but yeah. that—that's why Trump picked him because he was somebody whose whose philosophy dovetailed with his philosophy. They want to move back. They want to stop these consent decrees. They want to stop these federal monitors. They don't want any interference from U.S. attorneys. They want these police forces to be left alone. And that's the political payback from having the National Police Organization, the Fraternal Order of Police, endorse Donald Trump. Police leaders have said in Baltimore, they said they wanted the consent decree. They wanted it. It helps them. It helps them to Same straighten out, too, right? yeah. out, out their police forces. But Jeff Sessions is saying, no, we're not going to interfere. We're not going to do this anymore. And so you're going to see an increase in police brutality. Since Michael Brown was killed uh, two years ago, 2,500 people have been killed by the police in the United States. In 2015, 1,135 people killed by the police. Last year, over 1,000 killed by the police. And many of these are unarmed people and unarmed black people. We got them right here in New Jersey. We don't have to go to St. Louis. We got um, uh, Abdul Kamal unarmed, shot 15 times on Stanley Street in Irvington. We got um, uh, Kashad Ashford shot four times in the head. Uh, Jerome Reed, the video went viral. He's with his hands up. He shot at point-blank range seven times by a black police officer, Brahim Days, in Bridgeton, New Jersey. So we're going to see more of this as a result of the Trump policy and the person who is in charge of implementing that policy, who is Jeff Sessions. You believe that, Paul, that we're going to see more? Because I, I don't know. I'm not in, I'm not in the business of predicting okay. like that. I, I, you know, I, I, I do, I do think um, that there, that there needs to be some mechanism for the federal government to step in when there is a, a failure to recognize and, and hold accountable organizations under certain circumstances. I, Larry obviously is steeped in individual cases in a way that I'm not, but, I, but, I, but he did raise a very interesting point, um, and I think it's an important one, which is that uh, may, um, you know, the police chief in, in, uh, in Baltimore, I think his name is Kevin Davis, um, uh, was very outspoken on uh, um, when the attorney general said that he was going to back off when uh, from the consent decree and ask the court to delay um, its approval hearing and said, no, 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 um, this is something that we in Baltimore really want. Um, it's something he as a police chief really thought would be helpful to his stewardship 
of the police department and his efforts at real reform. Director Anthony Ambrose, who who the mayor appointed a, about a year and a half ago to be the police director here in, in Newark, is also equally committed to the process and was equally outspoken in his support for the consent decree. And, and look, and, and the truth is, we're now in a circumstance in Newark where the consent decree is a court-ordered document. It's a, it's a court order agreed to by both the city and the Department of Justice that calls for a, a you know a, a multi-year plan of reform. But uh, as as the mayor said when he was talking about separation of powers, the person who's going to decide whether that consent decree remains in effect or is or is uh, or is uh, supplemented or changed or modified in any way, it's a federal district court judge. It's not going to be the Attorney General of the United States. Ask when I ask the audience here about uh, policing. Uh, what are your thoughts on it in Newark and in elsewhere, uh, in New Jersey and across this country? Uh, give us a call. The number here is eight four four six seven seven nine two eight three. Mr. Mayor, what about what uh, uh, Larry Ham talked about? That, that there haven't been uh, to his organizations families coming in and saying the police roughed me up, the police were 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 abusive, that they were uh, overreaching. What, what what about that? Well, I don't I don't think that we're out of the woods yet. But um, there's been, you know, specific incidents here and there that we address, and I think we address them uh, as soon as it, it happens. We we don't try to hide it or pretend it doesn't exist. We obviously are under consent decree, and we do what we we do what we need to, but we would do that anyway, uh, and and we address it. But I also believe that, you know, because not just the the consent decree, but because the culture of of what's happening, you know, in terms of. Uh, what does the consent decree ask us to do and what and what we agree to do also changes. So the when the last class of police officers came in a couple of uh, weeks ago, 24 officers, you, you hear the police chief say to them, you won't be judged on how many people you arrest. You'll be judged on how many relationships you make with the community. That is a market, market difference in, you know, uh, what people say to police officers and what people police officers expect. Uh, you know, when they get on the force, I mean, in terms of what productivity means. But I, I, I heard you say, and, and, and I've been to a lot of police swearing-ins <clears throat> and, and so forth, and I heard you at a church uh, in Newark, uh, not too far from um, uh, Orange Street. Uh, this was back in the spring, I believe it was. It was a new class of of police officers. And I was struck by something that you said more than once to them. And it had to do with... Uh, uh, respecting the public and uh, uh, constitutional policing, that you follow the law and that you understand what people's rights are and what the Constitution uh, is all about. And I had not heard that from any mayor I could think of swearing in a police force. Well, it's, it's important, particularly in the time period that we're in and what's going on nationally and where we are locally and what's what's over our head here in Newark. Uh, and more importantly, I, I honestly believe, as uh, uh, you know, was said earlier, that you know, the the more we adhere to what the rules and the, the law suggest, the easier it is to to make officers safe, to begin to solve crimes in the city, to get people to come forward. Because you really can't fight crime with just the police department yourself themselves. They have to have a relationship with the folks in the community. Is 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 no other way. And uh, you, you have to have a community that that trusts believes in, supports the police like they do in other communities, in other neighborhoods that don't look like ours, right? They they believe the police are there for them, you know, and we believe the police are here here because of us, 
right? So that, that has to be that has to change. We asked Peter Harvey uh, if he could come in too, but he had a uh, a prior commitment. Uh, maybe we'll have him on a, another show. But uh, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him about without mentioning uh, Jeff Sessions by name or the Attorney General. Simply, uh, we spoke about uh, initially. Uh, anyone involved in this consent decree, and especially the Justice Department, backing out of this and retreating. And here's what he said in our interview on NJTV News. It's a written agreement signed by both parties. So just because one party says, I'm not sure I want to pursue this anymore, it doesn't mean anything. The other party uh, has a right to say no you're going to do exactly what you agreed to do and remember now once the two parties have signed it it's not just a contract it's been filed in federal court so now it's under the supervision of a federal court so you have both parties to the agreement now having filed in federal court what has become a court order so um, I, I, I know I'm pretty confident that um, the city of Newark is going to continue the reforms that we are seeing taking place and taking hold for the next five years. Paul, along those lines of this being a consent decree that a judge um, has approved with both parties signing the agreement and the independent monitor, federal monitor involved, can one of the parties, and especially the Justice Department talking about here, go in and ask the judge to modify this agreement so that the Justice Department, if it wanted to, could try to back out? They can ask. I mean, there's nothing, I think, that stops a party from a judicial proceeding in many circumstances from walking into court and saying, we had an agreement and we'd like to modify it. What's ironic and unusual about this is it's typically, in a circumstance like this, the party who is being required to do something. So it wouldn't have surprised me if in some place in the country, a city that is is operating under a consent decree, which costs money and and involves reforms and and is a lot of work and 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 imposes a bunch of obligations on the city, as the mayor well knows. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if if some one of those cities had said, you know, um, now that the Justice Department's leadership has changed, we'd like to take advantage of that and maybe make our agreement a little less onerous. What's weird about this is that the people who are being required to comply with the consent decrees, and the two that I'm most familiar with because part one is Newark and one is Baltimore because it's been so much in the news, is that it's not the cities that are coming in and saying we want out or we'd like a lighter load. It's the, it's the Justice Department apparently in Baltimore that was going to do that, and the judge in Baltimore said, I'm sorry, it's too late. And, and I'm quite confident, as, as Peter Harvey is, who's the court-appointed monitor, as, as, as you know, Michael, and, and as, as Larry and the mayor know, I'm a former attorney general of the state of New Jersey, and coincidentally, by the way, grew up in Alabama, um, and so, uh, and since you brought up Alabama... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, his, 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 father, was a, his father was a preacher in Tuskegee. Uh, his mother oh, wow. was, the, was, the, was the dean of the, school, the College of Nursing at Tuskegee. Um, so Peter, Peter is, is from Alabama. Um, and, uh, and, but as Peter pointed out, um, you know, the, the, there's a federal district court judge here, Judge Madeline Cox Orleo, who, who I can tell you from having been at the hearing where she approved the consent decree, is very interested in the reform that's going to take place in this city. And so I think it would be quite a lift 
for the Justice Department to convince her that the agreement needed to be modified in any significant respect. That's not to say that if the mayor or the police director come in um, with their lawyers and say, listen, there's a requirement that we have to do something in six months and we really need 18 months to do it, that the judge is not going to be receptive to that. In fact, quite the contrary. I think she would be as long as she recognizes, and I think she does, that the mayor and the police director are operating in good faith and trying to do as much as they can as fast as they can. Um, but, but, you know... Barring a circumstance like that, I think I think this uh, the agreement was is was written in ink, and I think the judge is going to f- enforce that agreement that was written in ink. And I think there are people like uh, uh, Larry Hammond, the People's Organization for Progress, who would be watching this closely and say, uh, "No, no one's going to retreat from this. The judge ordered it. Let's get this done." Absolutely, uh, not just because we wanted to, but because it's it's imperative for the safety of the citizens. I mean. It's hard in this kind of a forum to really convey the misery of a family who loses a loved one because of some brutal act on the part of the police. Now, let me say this uh, parenthetically. I'm for good policing. You can't run a city without police. I mean, we live in the 21st century. We need police. No one is saying that we don't want the police to do do their jobs. What we're saying is we want to be treated equally. There's no need to beat someone after they're handcuffed. If someone's breaking the law, put the cuffs on them, put them in the car, take them down to the station. You don't have to stomp them. You don't have to punch them. You're not hired to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. You're hired to be a policeman to protect and serve. And that's what we're asking for, for people to do their job. What does it take for good policing? What's your experience with the police in Newark and elsewhere? That's a question I'm going to be posing to some of the folks here who are our guests, Mayor Raz Baraka, Larry Hamm of the People's Organization for Progress, and former U.S. Attorney and now Seton Hall Law Professor Paul Fishman. This is WBGO News Director Doug Doyle. Coming up Saturday morning on the WBGO Journal, John Kalish reports on how mesh networks are helping those who can't afford Internet service. I'll chat with the author of the new book, How to Speak Soccer, Sally Cook. There's still very, very fun, rich language. A banana kick, for instance, you know, and... Um Uh, Some of the players' nicknames are really, really fun. And there's also, just like the other books, great, funny stories. And theater critic Michael Bourne reviews Indecent, a new play by Paula Vogel, and God of Vengeance, a play by Shalom Ash that became a scandal a century ago in Yiddish. All this coming up Saturday morning at 6 on the WBGO Journal on WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org. You're listening to Newark Today, and we want to hear from you. Call us at 1-844-677-9283. That's 1-844-677-9283. You're listening to Newark Today on WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org. We're talking about... 
This attorney general in Washington, Jeff Sessions of Alabama, former U.S. senator, and trying to retreat from constitutional policing and the enforcement of consent decrees and claiming that consent decrees cause crime to go up in cities across America. Our guest this evening, of course, Miraz Baraka, Larry Hamm with the People's Organization for Progress, and former U.S. attorney Paul Fishman. Uh, listen to this number, 844-677-9283. Chime in. Uh, join this conversation. What's your experience with policing? What are your thoughts on, on the consent decree, on reforming police departments across this country? And the reason we ask that because uh, almost every week you can watch the national news and you can see cases of perhaps uh, excessive force, over-policing, whatever you want to call it, in these violent confrontations, violent clashes uh, with the police department. We have a call. Uh, now we're going to take that call, and let's uh, let's see who's on the line. Who is it? Go right ahead. Join. Uh, you're, you're, you're on Newark today. What's your, uh, what's your question wow. or call? This is Doug from New York City. Oh, yeah, this is me. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, this is Douglas from New York City. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, uh, I find it very intriguing as far as witnessing these violations of people's constitutional rights being filmed with everybody being armed with a video camera now and their cell phones. And then the other part of my question is, uh, as technology evolves and we shortly put body cameras on all these police officers, doesn't that become... Uh, also another factor um, where it just sort of becomes they have to be, uh, uphold the Constitution because they're on camera 24 hours a day. Are you asked, what, what's your question? My question is, is what do you think about um, how this t is, technology is affecting these behaviors by the police officers? Uh, Paul, would you like to ask that? Sure. Well, so I, so I, so there, there are sort of two pieces to that question that I heard from from Jeff. I think um, this. Let me start with the second one, which is you know how to how, when we're talking about body cameras and and cameras in police cars. That's obviously something that is now. Um, really sort of state-of-the-art policing. Uh, the consent decree that, that we signed with the city of Newark when I was with the U.S. Attorney's Office requires the city to, to buy cameras and staff their officers and cars with cameras. The, the city had already taken some steps down that road um, at the mayor's insistence relatively early on, uh, and, and this, I think, provides sort of a timetable and a, and a mechanism for the city to do that. Um, and, and, and that's now happening all over New Jersey. The state attorney general's office is, requ is requiring that of the state police and I think that that's, it's going to be the rare police department soon that doesn't have those kinds of cameras for exactly, Jeff, the reason that you point out, which is that if, if – but, but that's one reason. One reason is because people believe that if officers are on camera, they won't actually – um, engage in conduct that's illegal. But the truth is, there are a lot of cops who are doing an incredible amount of really good work right. that is never filmed and is never put out virally on video. And as a result, um, the number of times, and I, I know this from having been in law enforcement for 22 years, the cops all the time talk people off a ledge, literally. They get them to put the weapon down. They intervene in a domestic dispute and save somebody's life. Nobody's filming that. 
And so the result of what we've seen is is partly the one that you identified, Jeff, but I also think that partly the fact that there have been video cameras out there, yes, it, sh- it has shown a spotlight on, on the kinds of cases that Larry has, um, has, has been so vigorous um, and so effective in talking about for so many years, um, but it also sometimes has the risk of staining the cops who are not doing that because like anything else, you see one somebody, somebody doing something and you assume that people who have the same job will also do that. And so I think the more cameras that are out there, I think the better it will be for everybody. Good. Mr. Mayor, your thoughts on that? Well, I think that uh, uh, Paul Fishman is absolutely correct. You know, at the end of the day, uh, one, I think is going to be an anomaly in a minute not to have the cameras. Uh, we are moving aggressively to, to get cameras. Uh, on uh, you know the police officers and in their uh, you know their cabs or in their, in their cruisers, it's important for us to do that because it kind of gives us a a real play by play of what actually took place. Uh, and and I think not only does it make police act better, it also makes citizens act better a little bit as well. So I think it's, it's safety for everyone when when everybody knows that they're 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 being taped, they're video, they're they're live, and you know. Uh, it helps the entire situation, and we, we, we want to make that happen. Would the city release those videos as they become available? Well, uh, I, I think that the 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 videos are public domain in my in my estimation. I mean, I mean, unless there's not they're not being used for some kind of serious investigation, and they can't be released at the time. I think that ultimately those videos should be made so people can see them. Right. Larry, your thoughts on that? Well, I support the People's Organization for Progress. We certainly support uh, the reform of putting body cameras on police. I think it is a good reform, and I think it's helpful in some ways. But we have had the body cameras now, as we have had the dash cams in the police cruisers, for some time. But not in Newark, though, right? Um, not not in Newark. In Newark, Newark is more recent in right. terms of the body cameras. But here's the problem. Sometimes the body cameras mysteriously go off. And that's the problem. People, get, police can turn these body cameras off. See, he, no one is disputing that policing is not a tough job. It is a tough job. I, I would be the first one to say that. No one is saying that they aren't good police. The good police are not the problem. It's the 10% who are not good and who are brutalizing and murdering, and in some cases, even terrorizing our communities. So the body cameras are an important reform because they can uh, film an incident going down. But we've already had situations, like with the death of Laquan McDonald in Chicago, where the body camera went off at an important point in that incident. And then there's not just that the body cameras go off, it's what you see, for instance. In the Rodney King case, there was a video. You saw the beating of Rodney King, and yet a grand jury would not convict the officers that were involved in the beating of Rodney King. It's the entire criminal justice system that must be reformed from top to bottom. Because here's the rub. If Larry Ham goes out and beats somebody and that person dies, Larry Ham will be arrested before the sun goes down. The bail will be set so high he will never come out of jail. He will go from jail to court. He will be invariably, 
he will be convicted and he will be sent to prison. If he's lucky, he'll be in a state that doesn't have the death penalty. And if he is in a state with the death penalty, he probably will will die because they're trying to execute eight people in one day in Arkansas right now. The problem is the crimin- the, the problem is we do not have equal justice in the United States of America. If a police officer kills someone unjustly, there's a pretty good chance that he won't even be indicted. Or if he is indicted, he's not going to be convicted. The only case, I can only think of a couple of cases here in New Jersey where police were actually convicted for police brutality. And one was the Earl Faison case that happened uh, right up here in Orange, New Jersey, where for the first time in the history of New Jersey, five cops went to jail. But they didn't go to jail for murder. They killed Faison. The, 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 the uh, county prosecutor wouldn't even convene a grand jury. Had it not been, th- this was almost like the civil rights South. If it hadn't been for the feds, if it hadn't been for the family and the community demanding that the feds come in, they wouldn't have had it. They were only convicted on conspiracy and on civil rights violations because they tortured the man. The problem is we don't get justice. We get killed in cold blood in the street. And the people who kill us, because they wear uniform, they are not indicted. Or if they're indicted, they're not convicted. That's the problem. And, and that's why you had riots in Baltimore and in Ferguson. And if somebody doesn't get a handle on this, you're going to see more of that in the United States. Doug, does that answer your question? It does. Uh, you know, I, I'd like uh, the follow-up to be the idea of, um, but if you arm the citizenry with video cameras, when, when the cops shut their, their body cameras off, people are still filming it. And doesn't that ultimately lead to forcing them to reform themselves. Um, uh, certainly, as we see more and more footage being shot by people's uh, passers-by, we see more and more cops being indicted and, and going to jail for these. I'm not saying everybody's going to jail and that it's a fair justice system. I'm saying doesn't this combination of uh, dash cam and body cam and the citizenry, every citizen now has a video camera in their pocket, doesn't that ultimately lead to a sort of self-reform, self-policing? Like, uh, you know, I can't really shoot an unarmed guy anymore because uh, it'll be filmed everywhere. But, you know, I, I think the uh, experience uh, has shown us, and, and my guests, please feel free to chime in. I, I think that can be the case and is the case in some cases. But look at the Earl Garner case, uh, for instance, on Long Island. The guy who, uh, who videotaped the... Um, uh, videotaped the the event there where uh, Garner died. Um, that He's guy in jail. Was, He's the, in yeah, jail. The, that guy they looked into his 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 history and 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 then decided okay he's wanted or he was wanted for something and and they put him in jail. So yes, Paul. I want to make an observation in response to Doug's comment because yes, cameras can make a difference, but cameras by themselves are not going to be the answer. Um, you know, the, if, if you look at the consent decree for the city of Newark, or if you look at the ones for any of the other cities, um, you're going to see a whole, a whole list of things that the police departments in those cities are required to do in order to achieve real institutional and lasting institutional reform. And, and, and one of them is training. The mayor talked about what 
um, what somebody said at their graduation, at the police, the, the recent class graduation, about making relationships instead of making arrests. Um, one is training on the law on how to be a good cop. Um, one is equipment. One is resources. Um, you know, the, the, I've, had, I've had a lot of conversations with Anthony Ambrose over, over the years and with other local police in lots of cities all across New Jersey about the equipment and the training and the resources they need to do their jobs correctly. Uh, uh, and, you know, one of the things they need is, is, is access to computer systems and data. And, and sometimes, I'm not going to talk necessarily about the city of Newark, but sometimes it is the case that there, while there may be an interest in and a commitment to institutional reform and change. It costs money. And maybe it saves money in the long term, but it costs money. And sometimes one of the benefits of a consent decree is that it says to the city, you don't have a choice anymore. Right. This is something you gotta do, and you gotta do it soon. Uh, and and one of the reasons I suspect, well, I'm not gonna put the mayor on the spot and ask him, one of the reasons I suspect that some police chiefs are in favor of this is because they have reform agendas. They know what good policing sounds like. They know what good policing looks like. They know what good policing means, but they can't get the people who are their bosses, the mayors, the city councils across America, to say, yeah, we're gonna write a check so you can actually be a fully functional police department in the 21st century. And what a consent decree can do is, A, it can give that, that administration the muscle to get done what they already know they need to do, and second, what it does is it says to other police departments in the same neighborhood and all across the state of New Jersey, is my hope, to look at what's going on in the city of Newark and say, hey, look, boss, we, we, in Newark, they have, they have new computer systems that actually show them where people are, who they've arrested, whether they have complaints against them. How come we don't have that? Right, right. And uh, the, the state police have... Uh all kind of systems in place because of the consent decree that they were under. In fact, I learned, uh, I learned some things that the state police uh, had to do, some systems that they have in place that we absolutely need in here, early warning systems, uh, things of that nature, which would track police officers' individual behavior uh, and begin to f uh, figure out if an officer needs to have training early on, if they need to be removed or anything needs to happen before it turns into an incident that uh, Larry talks about where somebody is killed, uh, you know, and or their rights violated, you know. So all of those things are important. And the video and, and taping police is just one tool uh, in a gamut of kind of things that we need. Right. Let me, let me make another point, too, which is that, you know, in these pattern and practice investigations, and in, I can certainly speak to the one in Newark, but I know that it goes on all across the country, this is not the Justice Department sort of parachuting in and saying, okay, here's what you need to do. The investigation, as you know, as the mayor knows, took, took almost three years in the city of Newark, and not because we were dawdling. Uh, but because it was really important that the Justice Department get it right, and getting it right meant talking to a lot of people. It didn't mean just looking at police reports. It meant sitting down with the leadership, the entire leadership of the Newark Police Department. It meant sitting down with political leaders, clergy, education leaders, the unions, the, the, the rank-and-file cops. It meant going on ride-alongs with people in police cars at night at 3 o'clock in the morning to see what they were facing. Larry is exactly right. The job of being a cop requires dedication and passion and integrity and respect and at the end of the day the thing that it really is and that it's not for me because I wasn't I was a lawyer it, it's really dangerous to be a cop and so yeah. and, and and unless you talk to the police officers who are doing that really dangerous work every day who have decided that that's going to be their ch their choice for their career to, to in to be in dangerous situations you can't appreciate how much they too want these tools because they want to be safe. 
They want to keep people safe, and they know, and I know because I've met with the union leaders and I've met with cops who are rank and file and I've met with officers up and down the entire um, roster of Newark. Um, they want the tools that this consent decree is going to give them. But right. here's the issue now. Right. The issue now is under Donald Trump and under Jeff Sessions, the Justice Department is not going to parachute in it's not going to drive in, that was my name. and it's not going to walk in. Could, could you imagine this Justice Department in, in looking at some of the things that occurred during the Obama administration with some of the instances of Ferguson, see, see, for see, instance? people have to understand the relationship between politics and law enforcement. People think there is no relationship. They think the law enforcement is over here and the politics is over here. The, the, the national police organizations, the police leadership... They didn't like the fact that the Justice Department was coming in. They didn't like the fact that uh, consent decrees were being imposed on police departments. They didn't like the fact that uh, the Justice Department was telling them, you got a pattern in practice. Not only are you brutalizing people, you're using the motor vehicle system as a secondary form of uh, uh, profit center, as a secondary, a secondary form of resource generation, I mean, as they were doing in Ferguson. In Ferguson, Missouri... I think one out of three black people had a, a warrant because of the motor vehicles thing. When people elected Trump, well, we didn't. The people didn't elect Trump. He's uh -oh. a he's a minority that's a, president. That's a whole nother no, show. No, no, no. It's not another show because Jeff Sessions is in place saying that we're not going to do consent decrees. Not only are we not going to do consent decrees, we're going to back up. He went into court in Baltimore to try to block the consent decree that already was in place because the political agenda of his boss, number 45, said we're going to be law and order. Trump was on the campaign trail talking about he was going to bring back stop and frisk, which had been declared unconstitutional right. in the court. I mean, we, we, we got to deal with reality here, with the reality of what's happening. We are moving into a proto-fascist state, into an authoritarian police state. And the policies of the current administration and the current leadership of the Justice Department is about making that happen. They're not about reforming the police. They're sending a message to cops now, don't worry if you shoot some unarmed black people, we're not coming in to do any investigation. You're listening to Newark Today on WBGO. We want you to participate in the conversation. We have a few minutes left. The number is 844-677-9283. Give us your thoughts on policing in Newark and in this country. Doug, we thank you for your call. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump was making the point that uh, he vowed to end what he called the dangerous anti-police atmosphere right. in this country. And as he was saying these kinds of things, uh, Peter Harvey, of course, was the, uh, and still is, the independent federal monitor. In my interview with him, he talked about the agony of, of police violence, of violence between uh, folks in the community and the police. And, and this is what he said uh, can stop uh, some of this. Here's part of my interview with him on uh, NJTV News. You can't measure the trauma that uh, comes into the lives of a police officer who comes to the conclusion that he uh, made a bad shoot and the family of a loved one who's wounded and injured for the rest of his life or dead. You can't measure that in dollars. And my point is, let's 
teach as much as we can with respect to de-escalation. Let's teach as much as we can with respect to the proper use of force. Let's teach as much as we can with respect to constitutional requirements, both state and federal. New Jersey state constitutional requirements are in many ways more protective of citizens than the federal constitution. And officers have to know that, which means you need constant education and training. Every other profession mandates it. Doctors have to undergo continuing education. Lawyers have to undergo continuing education. We have to have it for police officers who have the ability to use deadly force and have the ability to deprive us not only of liberty, our freedom, but of life. I, I would, I would, uh, can I say something? Mr. I, Mayor, I, go ahead, please. I, I agree with that 100%, you know, and, and that speaks to, you know, even when police officers are being videoed, sometimes, you know, they are, the culture is such that they're not aware of the, you know, of the Constitution of the United States or the Constitution of the state of New Jersey or the things that they're allowed to do, uh, even attorney general guidelines, use of force. I mean, this is, this is uh, borne out or made evident even when they, you know, on TV, you know, so they, they do they do the thing where they follow the police and they violate people's rights in the in 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 the full public view, right? So, which which means that you know these guys have no knowledge of of what they're doing or the culture is is so pervasive that they'll do it even when they're being watched, right? So uh, that's why the training is immensely important. Uh, periodically and early warning systems. Ken, you're on the line with us on Newark today. Uh, Ken, what's your question? Um, good evening, gentlemen. Um, and my question is, um, actually, I'm a teacher, a young black man in Newark, and uh, my question is, is there anything within the training that will help police officers change the mindset of how they view black communities because you could put a camera on a in a police car on the body of a policeman and it still not change his mindset of when he gets that call or that 911 they more or less already have a preconceived notion of what's going on and what actions they're going to take even before they get there and um more like, oh, okay that's more or less my question all right, Ken, thank you. Um, uh, who would like yeah. to answer? Paul, would you like to, to yeah. take it on? So I, I, so I think, like everything else, um, you know, people need to talk about and train on things like that. And so I can tell you what's going on federally. Uh, maybe the mayor could talk about what's going on in the city uh, with, with mm -hmm. the local police officers. Yeah. Um, but federally, um, it, and now, admittedly, this was in the, in the administration, the Obama administration, of which I was a part, um, but the Attorney General of the United States and the Director of the FBI and the, and the head of the DEA and the Marshal Service and the ATF ag agreed that all federal agents were going to have implicit bias training right. uh, to deal with exactly those things, to figure out not just whether people are overtly prejudiced or, um, or harbor those sorts of views, but whether people, without even being aware of it, um, have unconscious biases against folks. And, and so that training was designed to go on for all federal agents, and, as, and then the U.S. attorney community, of which I was a part, uh, decided that implicit bias training would take place for all federal prosecutors across the country, and that training was in the process of being developed when, uh, when I left the department uh, unceremoniously uh, a month and a half ago. You think that training is still on the I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer to that. I'm a little worried that it might not be, but, but, I, but I do think Ken's got a point, that, that um, everybody... Um, who deals um, in the law enforcement community with these sorts of issues needs to be aware 
of his or her own biases, and they can be explicit or they can be implicit, and people need to be trained on that. Mr. Mayor, your thoughts on that? I, I agree, and uh, in Newark, we are moving towards the implicit bias training ourselves. We just added on a couple of weeks of things that we do already that's not uh, formally implicit bias training, but we are going to obviously do that uh, in the city. Um, and I think there's some other pieces that we need to address in terms of the humanity of the people that you're policing. That's why it's important for us to do the Cops and Kids program, uh, clergy patrols. Uh, you know, we putting police officers on walking patrols before they even get to a precinct so they're not, like, inundated with the kind of culture that, you know, comes with being in a police station or where they say, oh, forget everything you learned in the academy. This is what you're supposed to do. We want to get them uh, acclimated to the community even prior uh, to them getting in the car, prior to them being assigned to a precinct. All of those things are important, and, uh, you know, we are looking for officers when we're interviewing and bringing them on uh, that have a specific idea about uh, what they feel about our community in advance. And I think that's uh, very important as well. When, we, when we're when we interviewing and, and researching and finding officers, we want to be able to identify officers who we think have an issue with patrolling in our community uh, in the first place. Larry, your thoughts on that, what, uh, what, what Ken was talking about, the implicit... Um, bias training and and making sure that those who go through the academy that they get the proper training and when they hit the streets they still don't have or may not have uh, to begin with these thoughts of of what policing in in places like Newark is all about. Well, again, we agree just as we agree with putting the uh, body cameras on police. We agree with that. We think that's a, a good reform. We think uh, the bias training is good. The more training, the better. Uh, I don't I don't want to come off as not being uh in support of reforms. This is the problem. The problem is we have consent decrees and we have police reforms and black people keep getting killed unarmed. Like I'm think I'm sitting here right now and I'm thinking about Sheila Reed and Munir Muhammad the parents of Jerome Reed. Jerome Reed was shot seven times at point-blank range. The dash cam, his hands are raised. No one was indicted. No one found guilty. Abdul Kamal was shot 15 times on Stanley Street. He had a cell phone, just like Amadou Diallo had a wallet. He had a cell phone in his hand. Nobody indicted in that. Uh, and, and it goes on and on and on. And we can put the, just like one of the good things about the consent decree, and I think the consent decree that was uh, put uh, in force in Newark is, is very good. One of the good things, one of the good aspects about the consent decree was it called for civilian oversight. Now listen to this real quick. Civilian oversight of the police. That translated in Newark into the establishment of Newark's first police review board. Ross Baraka, the mayor, signed an executive order, got it on track. A year later, the city council uh, passed an ordinance so that it would be permanent. But the police have gone into court to block it. So the police are not only like a paramilitary force, now they're a political force because they're actually interfering in the process that would give citizens that would empower citizens so that they could have meaningful oversight of their local police forces this is this is the real problem we have a great struggle going on in america right now 
And that struggle is a struggle for democracy. I want to thank our guest here. Um, we've been talking about uh, this attorney general and this Justice Department perhaps retreating on consent decrees and saying that uh, they can reduce the morale of police departments. I want to thank our guest this evening, uh, Larry Hamm with the People's Organization for Progress, former U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman, who's now a professor of law at Seton Hall University. And a fellow alumnus. And a fellow alumnus. (laughs) College classmate of Larry Hamm. That's right. (laughs) And of course, the Honorable Mayor Raz Barak of the city of Newark. Uh, I'm Michael Hill, your host of Newark Today on WBGO 88.3. I want to thank our team here uh, tonight. Ishmael Martinez on the phone. Corey Goldberg on the boards. Alexandra Hill producing. Doug Doyle, our executive producer and news director. You're listening to WBGO Newark.